everybody. Welcome to the first episode of The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-old people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season we'll be speaking to and about some marvelous mentors. I'm extremely excited today to have Paula Davis with us. So Paula is an author, a speaker, a writer, a mom. She is the founder and CEO of Stress and Resilience Institute, and she is an incredible guest to have on today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Paula. Oh, thank you, Kimberly. I'm so excited to be here for this conversation. I love it. So Paula had practiced law for seven years, and then she went on to get a master's in applied positive psychology. Through that, she started teaching resilient skills to more than 40,000 U.S. Army soldiers and their family members. She's been published in the New York Times. She's been in Oprah's O Magazine, the Washington Post. She's contributed to Forbes, to Psychology um, Today. And as I said at the beginning, she wrote an amazing book called Beating Burnout at Work, which was published earlier this year by the Wharton School um, Press. And you are an incredibly busy woman. I can only begin to imagine that you have been tapping into your own resilience a lot with what's been going on. And you've got a young daughter as well. Is that right? Yes, Lucy. Lucy is five. And it's it's amazing when you hold yourself out in the world as being a resilience expert. It's sort of like the universe goes, okay, are you ready? And they just start flinging opportunities for you to, you know, use your skills and and tackle obstacles and challenges and and unforeseen circumstances and things like that. So yeah, the last, the couple, the last, you know, past few years, you know, this year and last year and the year before for sure um, have all been, you know, very stressful and full of lots of challenges in lots of different ways. But, you know, it's interesting because when I talk to especially my soldier friends from my army program and we talk about our life challenges, whether it's over the last couple of years or just generally, we're all so thankful that we have this skill set. We all feel like we're just better equipped to deal with all of the life and work stuff because we, because we either went through this training or have cultivated the skills that we teach. And so I, I'm very thankful to have that extra layer <laughs> with me. <laughs> I, yeah, I can only begin to imagine. And, you know, part of the reason that um, I've asked you to come on this Marvelous Mentors uh, season is because of how we got our relationship started. So you were a keynote speaker at a clock event. So this was a clock conference in London in January of 2020. And I was looking back at my diary to remember when it was it's like, it could yes. have been just before everything happened. The world turned upside down. Yep. And, <laughs> and you gave this amazing presentation on resilience and resilience in teams. And um, it was incredible. And actually, I'm so glad I attended that just before, as you say, going into lockdown to even have myself be <laughs> equipped with that. So first of all, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it was fortuitous timing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I approached you after that presentation. Um, so what, what I like to say is, you know, for each one of my mentors, I kind of have said, you know, you are the unexpected mentor or, you know, you are the mentor who the, who's the one who's gone before for me. And where I was when we met is I was, you know, I was working as a lawyer. I knew I wanted to do something different. Again, I knew I had more to offer and I had that feeling of being stuck. So exactly as, as I imagine many of our listeners are feeling. 
And you came up and you gave this amazing presentation. You were, you traveled over to London. So international travel, public speaking on a topic I was very interested in. I knew that you were well-published, you were a writer, you know, you basically were doing all the things that I wanted to do. And you had made that transition. You had, you know, let go and you had grabbed onto something new, made that right turn. And so I approached you after the presentation. I just said, do you have five minutes at some point where we could sit down and have a chat about how you actually got unstuck? And you were so lovely to take the time. Somebody you had never met who just randomly bounced up to you at the end of your presentation <laughs> was like, hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? I'm a lawyer and I don't want to be anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that's actually how our mentoring relationship got started. And I just, first of all, I just want to very publicly say thank you because you have been, you know, an integral part of me moving in this direction. And I would have never done that without your help. So just first off, thank you. Well, you're so welcome. I mean, that, that makes my heart just feel like so good. And I feel um, so blessed and I'm so thankful for you for, for having the courage to come up and ask me because that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. And I understand very keenly what it feels like to be stuck. And I, you know, even though that was quite a number of years ago for me and my experience, um, I, I remember it as though it was yesterday. And so I, I'm, I'm glad I, I was there at the right time for you and we were able to have a conversation. So you're um, so welcome. Well, let's, let's actually take a step back in time then and, and go back to that point where you were making that decision to leave private practice. Was this something, did you just get sick of law? What, what happened? Tell us a bit about that story. Yeah. I mean, if we unwind it all the way, I don't know that I was ever really truly passionate about law to begin with. So mm -hmm. what I was truly passionate about was psychology. My undergrad is in psychology. And I, as I was thinking about how I wanted to advance my education after my undergrad, um, the appeal of psychology at the inner section of mental illness was didn't hold a lot of a lot of strength for me. And mm -hmm. so um, I had taken a couple of constitutional law classes in undergrad and loved them and was like, oh, I'll just go to law school <laughs> as the, <laughs> the next step, thinking that that could set me up. Um, you know, it's a useful degree and that would help me no matter what I decided to do. And so I don't think I was even approaching it yet at that point as something I would do forever. Um, so it, it is sort of the intersection of psychology and entrepreneurship, those and teaching, those have been the three big kind of passions of mine that have, you know, unfolded over, you know, the years, I guess, as you'd say. And so, so I, you know, I was in law school. I, was, I, I remember the first week I'm in the Dean's office and I'm in tears and I rarely cry. And I'm like, I don't think this is right for me. And, and we had a long conversation and, you know, obviously I stuck with it and I'm, I'm actually glad I did. There were, there were a number of things that I liked about practicing law. There was a lot that I didn't like about practicing law. Um, but I ended up burning out during what became the last year of my law practice. And so, mm -hmm. Um, that was a, a horrible year-long process of just realizing that I'm not handling my stress the same way. I didn't know what burnout was, so I mm -hmm. couldn't use the vocabulary to describe what any of it was. Um, I just knew that I was feeling worse and worse as the months went by. And I, I got to a point where I was experiencing um, panic attacks very regularly, sometimes daily. I had to cut some meetings short because I could feel them coming on, um, which was weird uh, for, for people who were 
in the room or, you know, like on a conference call, sorry, I gotta go, bye. Um, and, and I um, ended up in the emergency room twice because I had really bad stomach aches from the stress that I was experiencing. And so it was, it had to get that bad for me to really think to myself, like, I, like, I gotta do something different. I don't know if it's in law or out of law, but it's, it's not this. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where the stuck piece started happening for me because um, I had a fantastic boss and I tried to explain to him as best I could what was going on. And I said, you know, I don't know that it's that I hate the law generally. I just don't want to practice commercial real estate law anymore. I'm sort of tired of it. Mm. And I was in a corporate legal department and I said, could I do other work in the legal department? Because obviously there's lots of other things that are going on here besides real estate deals. And he thought that that was fine. And actually tried to make that happen for me. And the general counsel and other leaders um, said, no, we, we really need you to be continuing doing real estate work. And I thought about going back to the law firm that I had been at. They, you know, I had done really good work there and left on really good terms. And that just, you know, didn't work for a number of reasons. And so I felt like anytime I tried to figure out like a next step, a door closed. And it became very frustrating to me because... I'm not somebody who likes that type of environment. I've always thought that I can figure it out. I'm very much a, okay, if A doesn't work, I'm trying B. And if B doesn't work, I'm trying C. And it's it's pretty natural, a pretty natural tendency for me. And to keep hearing no and have doors closed was profoundly frustrating. And really um, for a period of time, like I really get that sense of helplessness, how feeling stuck can also feel like a sense of helplessness. Like it's, I just don't know what to do. Um, And so I, I just started grasping for straws. And so, you know, I started to think about like, okay, well, I love to bake. So why don't I go to pastry school? And so (laughs) there was such a randomness about that. It, it reminded me, so I ended up going on a radio show um, in, in, the interviewer, actually, it was Mel Robbins. It was Mel Robbins' radio show, and she's she's become quite a prominent self-help guru, at least here in the United States, and I think internationally. Mm. And I went under in under an assumed name because I didn't any you know still working, <laughs> and I didn't want anyone to know like you know I was on the radio talking about leaving, um, you know. And she was the first person, you know, because I I the the pastry thing didn't work out for a number of reasons, and I detail that in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then again, back to feeling really helpless and lost. And she's like, "You got to be really intentional. You have to really start thinking about intentionally what is it that you want to do, so you're not just going to end up in another practicing law type of situation." And that's what stopped me in my tracks and made me really start to think about what is it that I want to do. And it, and it and it took time and it wasn't something that happened overnight. And I just started talking to people about different things that I thought I would be interested in. And I ended up hiring a coach who, mm. um, I, I, you know, was in the airport and we remember where I was going, picked up a, ma- a success magazine and she had written an article in there. I, st- I still don't even know why, why I gravitated toward <laughs> that or to her. And I reached out to her and she said, you know, I just finished, I'm finishing up this master's in applied positive psychology program at And I said, what is positive psychology? Like, this sounds amazing. And um, so since hearing that, I just really became obsessed with the science kind of in that space and applied to UPenn. And even going to Penn, I didn't, I wasn't consciously thinking, I'm going to teach resilience to people when I come. I didn't even know what that was. Mm. And so it was just sort of, I knew though that the master's program would hold something for me to help me transition into whatever it was that was going to grow. So sometimes when you're stuck, part of this is just saying yes to things like in the sequence Mm. and they lead you to things that you, I mean, 
could never have predicted. So this is becoming a really long answer, but, but no, so it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, no. So this is, so that's, that's how I, that's really, you know, the, the, the backstory of how I ended up at Penn. And when we, you know, we're bopping through all of the different coursework and stuff and, and we got to really the segment of the classes around the science of resilience. And I went like, well, like if I had had this, I probably still would have burned out. I don't know. It would have made me love law anymore, but it would have helped my, I could have helped myself in a very different way. And so it's from the moment I started to study that there, I've never looked back. I've, I've, it's just always been such an interesting area of science to me and a skill set to help people develop. Um, and that I hope I get to do it for a really long time because it's just, um, it's just really profoundly impactful. And then, you know, coming out of Penn, again, perfect timing with Penn having just been approached by the United States Army to create a train the trainer program for drill sergeants and soldiers and their families. So, I mean, that was literally as I was graduating and even a year prior, that program didn't exist. I never thought I was going to work with soldiers. Like who, who am I? Like what business do I have teaching soldier <laughs> stuff? Um, you know, I don't come from a, from a huge military family. And so, so again, you know, the opportunities just, you know, started to present themselves and what I thought was going to be because this, this is how they framed it. It was the pilot program. We didn't know if it was going to be successful. They said, you might do one training. So I thought, cool, I'll just go grow my business and figure out what to do. Mm. And it took off in a really cool way. And, uh, you know, one, what they said, you might do one training a year. I ended up doing one training a month for almost four years Mm. um, in the program. I got to travel to army bases around the world and have a really cool experience. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been an it's been a wild ride (laughs) (laughs) what what I love about that is I mean there's so much there but the fact that you know when people are stuck I think a lot of times they they're they're still high performers they're people that are a-type personalities who know how to get out of things so as you said you kept trying different things you went to a you went to b you went to c and it's amazing that's kind of serendipity came in and you picked up a magazine and ended up going down a completely different route but you kind of have to be open to doing that and you know, this coach that you got that helped you through this, I I know that she wasn't necessarily a mentor, but she was somebody that helped guide you in a direction that was unexpected and was able to kind of share her experience with you and open your mind to something new. And and I love that it brought in that kind of psychology and that teaching. And then ultimately that entrepreneurship that you said were kind of the three things that ticked your box and you know, saying yes, that is another thing I just want to draw out here. It's, Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's hard to say yes, because you don't know where that yes is going to lead. And it may, it may be something that fizzles out, but I just want to encourage the listeners, you know, even if it does fizzle out, you're going to learn something from that experience. And even if you learn, it's not what you want to do. And even if you learn that this is not the way to run an organization, or this is not the way to start a business, or this is not the way to do something, you learn from that and build on that. And I just think that's, incredible that you were able to say yes to something so different. It's, and that's the two, I think that's the one, two punch that I would, that I would offer to people who are listening. If you feel stuck is the first one is the intentionality piece, like getting really clear about what it is that you want to do. And for me, I I ended up spending, like I poured myself a glass of wine actually on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) And I spent a few hours just scribbling in my journal and my notebook, thinking about like, 
what have I always loved to do? Because I had gotten so far away from it. I had gotten so, I was so wrapped up in going kind of down the wrong path, really, with the legal profession that I had to really bring myself back and think, like, so really, honestly, if you had asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, back when I was, you know, nine or 10 or whatever, I would have said teacher. I said teacher automatically. And I talked myself out of that when I went to university. And so, um, you know, it was rediscovering what people said I was good at, what I thought I was good at, where are my inherent strengths? You know, I have a lot of strengths around kindness and gratitude and things that just never seem to fit in the legal profession. So I was Mm -hmm. consistently like, like butting up against my authentic self and having to squash that a little bit to be who I thought I had, had to be, to be a good lawyer. And that became exhausting. So, um, so that intentionality piece is really important. And then the saying yes piece is too. Um, and you're right. You don't know where it's going to lead. And that's that's really kind of the scary mm-hmm. but cool thing in the moment because you're not going to be able to connect the dots in the moment. Now that I'm 11 years out of that moment, I can look back and go, oh, yeah, it's, it was exactly supposed to happen this way. And it unfolded in the way that it was supposed to happen because I needed I needed the army program, quite honestly, to be really the second part of my education. Um, You know, I I graduated from Penn knowing a lot about the science of resilience, but honestly had no clue how to teach it. Mm. And, uh, you know, really being involved in a program that made me have to practice that and understand how you teach adults and how you structure a program and how you need to tell stories and, and all of that teaching kind of stuff was really what I learned in that in that program. And so I think my, for a whole lot of reasons, my business would, would look very different if I didn't have that, that experience. And so. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of doing it for the U S army and for their families. So I'm, I'm a Navy brat. So I grew up Mm. uh, with a dad who's a Naval officer and traveled all over the world with it. And it was fab, but that resilience piece, especially in the military is so important because you have to add on all the stress that you have. And then the possibility of your dad or your mom, you know, being killed in action and add that on top of everything else on top of yeah. moving on top of, you know, all, and it's just having that resilience. If you don't have it, the kids that grow up in those families and the, and the, the spouses that are in those families without the resilience, it, the family falls apart. But when you have the resilience that you're able to draw from, and you're able to take that time out, even as, even as the army officer or the Naval officer, it's so important. And you can just translate that into other areas of work as well. You know, what are you doing in your work right now that's depleting you? And are you taking the time to re rebuild those resources that you need in order to have resilience to get through, you know, your next day? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's the other thing that I think is, is interesting with that too. And I find that resilience is oftentimes very misunderstood because Mm -hmm. the way it's portrayed in popular media and the way that we see it talked about is, is a little bit off base sometimes because we see it portrayed as these superhuman feats of accomplishment. And I mm. just, you know, published a couple of articles um, on my Forbes blog talking about Simone Biles and her decision to quit, yeah. um, you know, and to opt out and how opting out or quitting something is also a phenomenal sign of resilience. And so having been in the realm of teaching drill sergeants and soldiers, people who a lot of people would consider to be some of the toughest people, people who exist, <laughs> um, it's not about toughness. And we weren't there to make them more tough because exactly. that didn't need to happen. It's to help people when you're faced with an uncertainty or a challenge or a stressor or something's changing, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, you're just able to navigate it. Yeah, you're able to adapt and to pivot and to see 
other pathways and avenues, and then you can grow forward ultimately from the struggle or from the obstacle so that you can, you know, pivot and adapt a little bit more quickly the next time you, you encounter a challenge. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, and it helps it helps me be able to talk to lawyers and very seasoned leaders and busy professionals um, about that experience, because I think sometimes, too, there's a misperception about resilience is, you know, soft or what is this? And, you know, to to be able to lean on the stories that, you know, I heard and the work that I did with with, quote, tough people, mm-hmm. you know, really diffuses, you know, people's perception or argument that they could kind of have back about why is this something that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just going back to also something else that you talked about is, is that kind of finding your own strength. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we look at what are our weaknesses and we need to, you know, really work on our weaknesses, but actually what are your strengths and taking that time to, I mean, you know, anybody that has a coach, they're going to tell you, sit down and journal, write your strengths down. You know, what, what depletes you, you know, what brings you joy? What is it that energizes you all those kinds of things. But a lot of people that are listening, you know, especially if you're kind of in your twenties and thirties, you might not have the money to, to get a coach right now, you know, but take the time to do that. It's a great exercise that, you know, when you do get a coach as soon as you can, that is my, my biggest piece of advice is definitely get mm-hmm. a coach. Um, when you're stuck, it is the best time to get it. And if you have some resources you can throw at that do, but in the meantime, take that time to journal and thinking through that whole process, as you say, that's where you end up finding out what, what makes my heart sing? What do I want to do? You know, where, where is it I want to go and is what I'm doing right now depleting me or is it helping to build, build me up? So I I just wanted to make sure we touched on that. Yeah, no, that's so important. And I mean, it's so easy to get swept along, you know, you you know, in your, in your twenties and your thirties and you're just, you're, you're figuring out what your career is. And then, you know, you get your first job and then you're just sort of in, you just sort of get swept along and all of a sudden you're, you're, how am I 40? And I don't, is this really the thing that I want to do? And so it's so easy um, to have that happen. And if you're in the earlier stages of your career, just thinking about some of these things, as you mentioned, um, via character.org is a great place to go to for a free strengths assessment. So that's the one that's affiliated with, um, you know, the University of Pennsylvania positive psychology program Mm. that's now been taken by multi-millions of of people. And so that's a free assessment. Um, the strengths finder like Gallup and the, I think it's called the Clifton strengths finder now, but, um, you just need to purchase their book strengths finder 2.0. And then I think you get a code and you can, um, you know, so for 20 bucks or 15 bucks, you can, you know, that's another kind of a little bit more on the business side of strengths, um, you know, take an assessment in that way. So if you're looking to do something, you don't have to spend a lot of money to kind of get, get your wheels turning about that. So it's Mm -hmm. so important. I never, and with, with, with a mentor, with, with, um, even with my coach, quite honestly, or the coaches that I've had, the conversation around what are your strengths and how can we amplify that doesn't really come up a lot. And that's, it's, it, it's interesting because it's the easier path by mm-hmm. far because they're naturally energy giving. They're just part of who you are. And it's easier to leverage something when it's coming from that place versus it stinks and it's tough and, I'm, <laughs> you know, how do I fix it? You know, kind of mentality. Absolutely. So when we, when we talked earlier, we were talking about mentors and, you know, one of the things that you and I chatted about was we, sometimes people think of mentors as being in, in a, in a kind of structured program within your organization. They say, here's your mentor and you either suck it up or don't speak to them ever again, (laughs) you know, and you have this mentor that's been shoved upon you and you make the best of it if you can. 
that to me is exactly what we're trying to debunk here is that that is Mm -hmm. not what mentors are. And, you know, you had some really cool experiences and kind of working through who mentors have been in in your life. And I'd love for you just to share a bit about what you found in that, in that process. Yeah, this was a really eye-opening thing for me to think about because I had always thought about mentorship in the way that you just described it, the structural mm-hmm. thing. And like when I, I remember when I started at, at my law firm, I'm like, I got to find a mentor. I just, I don't know. It's just something that I need. And I remember when I was going through the interview process, like making sure that I told them like, I need a mentor and I want a mentor and who's my mentor going to be. And he was great. I mean, he's still a friend of mine right now, but he had one foot out of the profession. He was two years away from retiring. He was, he had a reputation and I didn't know it at the time as being really like a very strict, hard nosed type of, you know, by the letter lawyer, which is not who I am. And I found it very uncomfortable in a lot of situations to sort of take his advice or use his approach. And I didn't know any better because I was just learning how to practice. And so it was, it was a, it was definitely from, not from a personality standpoint, but from a, how am I going to teach her to practice law standpoint or help her with this? That was, it was very much a misfit. And so And then the rest of my legal career, I didn't really have anybody. I had a fantastic boss um, Mm -hmm. when I was in my in-house role, in my corporate legal role. Um, And I, you know, I think he maybe was kind of like a mentor, but, but more so I saw him as just a really fantastic individual and a really fantastic boss and a leader. Um, So more so somebody who I would would cite as, as kind of that positive leader role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I think if I had to point to somebody in terms of who's like really guided me in the formal way, I think that we tend to think about mentoring, it's probably my dad yeah. is, is the one person who comes front of mind. But I will tell you, as I've gone, you know, into my business and throughout my business, my business coach, you know, coaching and mentoring is different, but there are um, you know, given her role, there are mentoring aspects that I draw on from her. Mm. My, I have really close friendships with people and they are, for me, some of the best mentors that I have are, are the people who are my close friends. Um, I also think about, and this is, this is probably a different way to think about mentoring, but talking about unexpected mentors, um, you know, the soldiers who I worked with, some of whom became really close friends of mine and really part of my family, others of whom I just was sitting in the back of the room when they were sharing a story that caused me to burst into tears and have a monumental insight about um, something about life or Mm -hmm. what I had experienced. And I, I consider those people many of whom I will never know their names, mentors of mine, because they taught me something like really, really valuable. And it's one of the things that I honestly miss most about traveling right now um, are the cab rides (laughs) and like the people who I encounter in airports and stuff, because I have learned so much just from random people, (laughs) from random people that they've made me just like drop my jaw sometimes. Um, Like when people ask me, you know, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, you know, like I help, you know, organizations lessen burnout or, or what have you. And then for some reason they equate that with being a therapist and so, or something. And I just hear a lot of really deep stories from people and just, you know, some of the perspectives that they've offered on personal relationships or how, you know, they got to where they're at um, has made me, question my own assumptions and biases about things and has caused me to be a more flexible thinker about um, the way I look at the world. And so I think of that whole entire collection of people as my mentors. And so, 
you know, whether formal, whether apparent, whether assigned to you, whether it's a story that you hear from somebody who changes your perspective, whether it's a close friendship, I think being open to drawing on all of those experiences, inviting everybody in to be potential mentors for you, I think is probably how I've evolved to think about mentoring. Yeah. And I think, I think for all of our listeners, like that is what's so important is even if you're not offered. So one of the things that we've heard is, you know, people feel that they aren't being put on leadership courses or, you know, they're not being offered that mentoring opportunity at work is go out and grab it yourself. And it doesn't have to be, you don't even have to go up to somebody and say, will you be my mentor? Mm -mm. Just go grab coffee with somebody that you really admire. Go try and set up a meeting with somebody that's doing what you want to do and find somebody that has a different perspective and talk to them. I mean, that idea that you said of just even talking to random strangers and people in cabs, that's what opens your mind. That's what opens your ideas. That's what gets you to a place where you're thinking about things differently. And that in itself, as you say, is a mentoring experience. It's, it's, it's opening your mind to something and then looking at it from a different perspective. So I love that. Yeah, it's really just about getting curious, being curious about something. Wow, you have a job or you have a position that is is really cool. I want that for myself one day. Or wow, you've been married for 50 years. Like, how did you develop such a fantastic relationship with your significant other? It's getting curious about people and their stories and their experiences and how they got where they got and asking a bunch of questions. People love to talk about themselves. I'll blab on and on for hours about like, my career pivot and stuff like that um, because I, I hope that it might help somebody. And, and um, you know, just so being curious and asking questions and having conversations. And I think it's, it's, we lose so much of the informal piece of mentoring. Uh, People, again, people love to talk about themselves. Just be curious about how somebody got to where they're at. And it's, it could open a spark or a thought or a connection or you, you never know. But I mean, I think that's really how best to approach it. Yeah. You could end up at Penn studying positive psychology. You never know. You You could be working with drill sergeants, you know, in the middle of the Kuwaiti desert someday. (laughs) How did I end up here? I love it, but how did I end up here? Um, (laughs) And so just because this is called the undiscovered you, I have to ask the question, like, what have you discovered about yourself along the way? So as we said, you haven't really had that kind of formal mentor, um, but what in these relationships have you discovered about yourself or from the pivot or, or something along the way that you've discovered about yourself? I think it's been, you know, I was always someone who was like, I plan things out. I'm going to do this, not necessarily with intentionality, as I've talked about, but that, you know, I'm going to go to graduate school and then I'm going to have a career and then I'm going to do it. And it's, it's, I think that um, it's just that I've gotten more comfortable with the uncertainty. I've mm-hmm. gotten more comfortable not being okay, not having to know how it's all going to end, how it's all going to sort of unfold and continue to just be really curious and continue to try and be present and and getting to know people and seeing kind of what that leads to and where the next steps might be. Because even, you know, I've been doing this now for 11 years. I don't know what the next step is going to be. You know, Mm. my plan right now is to continue to grow my business, but you never know what other opportunities or people you're going to meet or opportunities might come along or what have you. And so um, it's, it's that tolerance. I think I have a much higher tolerance of the ambiguity and the messiness of life um, than I did 10 or 11 years ago. 
Yeah, no, I think, I think having that really helps you open doors. And if you want to get unstuck, get ready for ambiguity and get ready for change and be willing to just grab it with two hands (laughs) and rock and roll. (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's a great graphic and I I'll, I'll try and describe it and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it but it's like what you think success looks like and it's a you're you know what a straight or what they tell you it is is like a straight arrow like going up and then what success really is and it's this messy like scribble you know looks like my five-year-old you know probably like got on a page and just scribbled around on it um, and that's really it's really what it is and that's that's such a perfect way to to think about it absolutely Okay. So before I let you go, we ask all of our guests, the all important question of what is the best piece of advice you've ever heard? The best piece of advice I ever heard. I don't know that I can crystallize it down into like a pithy, like cool quote or what have you, but, um, and I collect quotes. So I get, Mm -hmm. I I get a lot of uh, insight from, from quotes. It was more of a general theme, I think came from my dad where he, he was always instilling in me that I could do whatever I wanted to, and I could be whoever I wanted to. And when I said, Hey, I want to start a business, he, he, he and my mom owned a business for 15 years. You know, he was right there, you know, helping me and encouraging me. And, um, you know, so I think I really internalized from a very, very young age. I grew up in a very small town where it was not, this was not necessarily the common position for dads to take necessarily <laughs> with their daughters, but, but really internalized that, you know, there were no limits for me that the doors would open. I had to work really hard, but, um, you know, that, that I could do what I wanted to do essentially. Your dad sounds amazing. I wish he every is. single girl <laughs> in the world had a dad yes. like that and just told you, you can do what you want. You can be what you want. Just go out there, grab the world and just run. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely a girl dad. I have a, I have a younger brother and he's a fantastic dad to him as well, but he is, he is just, I, I wish every girl a dad like my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he sounds amazing. Yep. Well, We've been, we've had an absolutely fabulous time chatting, Paula. I could speak to you all day, um, but Paula's book, Beating Burnout at Work, the subheading, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Wellbeing and Resilience is out. Um, please do pick up a copy. I cannot tell you um, how much it helps just reading through it, kind of redefining, as she said, um, what resilience is. There's some great stories in there. You, you really talk very openly about your own experience. I think people can draw a lot from that. So I just want to say just before we go, thank you so much, Paula, for being on the show. Um, and thank you for just sharing your stories with us and your insights. And I think people are just going to walk away from this with some, some huge amount that they can take away and hopefully get themselves unstuck. Yes, that is, that is the goal. And I'm, and I'm here as a resource for anybody who, if I can be of any help, please don't hesitate to, to reach out. But this has been such a fantastic um, conversation. Kimberly, thank you again so much for having me on. It's been so great to have you on, Paula, and so lovely to have our listeners with us for our first ever podcast on The Undiscovered You. Please join us for our next episode of Marvelous Mentors, where I'll be speaking to my unexpected mentor, the Dean of the University of Georgia School of Law, Bo Rutledge. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and like and comment below. Thanks and see you next time on The Undiscovered You.